0: Welcome back to the show today. I've got a good one for you. We've got the first of two sessions that my beloved friend Suzanne Stabile and I recorded at Harbor out on Pepperdine's campus. And I, I think you're going to love it. I had a lot of fun uh, being with Suzanne, Joe, and Joel, along with many other friends out at Harvard. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Suzanne. It, uh, it it was great. It was a blessing to be a part of. Uh, each of these two sessions, at one moment or another, I found myself going, all right, I wish... I wasn't having this conversation in front of a bunch of people right now, because I'm literally doing some existential work inside of my heart right now, because of something she said. I hope you have the same experience. So uh, without further ado, here it is. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. How are we doing today? Wonderful. Uh, my name is Luke, and let me introduce you to my wonderful, beloved friend, Suzanne. Does everyone know Suzanne? Yes? Yeah, we've got a few claps. Uh... Yeah, I'll give you some claps.
1: I'll earn the rest.
0: Yeah. If you don't know Suzanne Stabile, she is a dear friend of mine. She is Enneagram Master Teacher, uh, author of a handful of books. The most recent one came out in like 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, the, oof. Okay, the Road Back to You, The Path Between Us, and then The Journey to
1: Wholeness. That's it, Toward. Towards. Yep, good.
0: I don't get claps for that. I mean, that's that's the best I can do. Okay. Um, I don't get
1: clapped for that. What's no. up?
0: She's written, but most importantly to my daughters, she is the woman that they love dearly because when we went to dinner, you said, hey, can I get you guys an iPad or something? Because you knew you and I and the rest of our family mm-hmm. would talk a lot, and mm-hmm. my kids were like... Thank you. This woman gets us. She wants us to have an iPad. So if there are any kids in the room, she will not be offended if you have an iPad out. No, 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 no. I will be extremely offended, but she will not. And let me give you a backstory. About three years ago, uh, Mike and I were talking, Mike Cope and I were talking about uh, what to do with this session at Harbor three years ago. And I said, Harbor needs to have Suzanne Stabile here. And so, uh, I talked to Mike, we arranged for you to come out and we were going to do this three years ago. And then I don't know if you remember, but three years ago, there was a little thing (laughs) called COVID-19 that happened. And so we had to cancel this. And not only did we cancel this, but when like COVID first started, uh, you and Joe were scheduled to come down to the church that I serve in Austin, Texas and do a weekend retreat. And you're going to help me on Sunday as well. And, uh, got canceled as well. And so this is the first time we've really done anything since COVID-19. And it's kind of fitting because there's a lot that has happened over the past three years that we've all gone through, that things are different. And I think you and I maybe probably should talk about that.
1: Sure. Well, the first thing that we've never talked about is that anytime, anywhere in the country for the last 25 years, that I'm invited to uh, participate with the pastor on Sunday mornings. There's a natural disaster. Oh. So Joe's convinced that God doesn't want me to participate on Sunday mornings. <laughs> COVID <laughs> is a little over the top. Like, I, So I can only guess what the potential was
0: for us on that Sunday morning. Do you think you could have told me that before we scheduled that? I feel like that could have... No,
1: I've got one scheduled right now for Houston, and we'll see what happens. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed.
1: Um, so... Um, COVID changed every, every single thing. And I have the opportunity to travel all over the country and teach. And I sometimes get to teach internationally on And is that how you say that?
0: It sounds good to me.
1: Okay. And, um, I don't think we've caught up with the changes, but I don't really think we had caught up with ourselves before the changes. So I'm in this unique position of uh, teaching a 2,000-at-least-year-old spiritual wisdom tool that um, is misunderstood by some and misused by some.
2: Hmm.
1: And uh, the Enneagram, when I started teaching, was nobody knew what it was. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Mm -hmm. And so when people, when I was traveling, would ask me, well, what do you do? I would say, uh because I knew they weren't going to get it, and I didn't have an elevator speech at that point. Hmm. I do now. And that is, I teach that there are nine ways of seeing, and we all fall in one of those nine ways, and it's not true that we're all pretty much alike, because actually we're not. Hmm. And the Enneagram is spiritual wisdom, but unfortunately, it's misunderstood because of the symbol, which has nine points. A a pentagram has five (laughs) And it just is weird.
0: Yeah. Did you come up with that? What? The nine, the design?
1: Good, Evagrius Ponticus came up with that. You know what year that is?
0: It's like the fourth century, isn't it? What year? Nine?
1: Fourth, fourth, fifth century. See, Good job. You. Good job. Y'all, this is my husband, Joe, by the way. <laughs> He's the best human on the planet. Why I get to hang out with him, I have no idea. But I'm all about it. We've been married for 35 years, almost 36, and I'm still crazy in love with him. A little distracted right now, actually.
0: So, do, do I need to sit between you two? <laughs> I know. I've seen this enough times. Yes, you have. Probably you? It doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So, 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 um, the logo does not a good logo for the Enneagram.
1: Well, it is because it's older than all the things that we make up about it. Okay. And it is because it's honest. So it's just, Enneagram is just Greek for nine points. Mm -hmm. That's all. And there are nine ways of seeing. And I know that sounds reductive, but it's not because the depth of the Enneagram after teaching uh, for a very long time I haven't found yet. Hmm. So my new uh, work is probably going to be the Enneagram in the pandemic and what it has to teach us but I'm learning first before Hmm. I start talking and writing about that a lot
0: that's probably a good way to do it
1: what it did teach us I think if you know it is how to be uh, worried about your job spending all day every day with people you don't really want to spend all day every day with that you happen to live with and love and enjoy but it's just a lot um I think it, I I don't know the number of texts and emails that we've received saying uh, without the Enneagram, we never would have made it through COVID.
2: Hmm.
1: So I'm pretty convinced that the duality that we're all trapped in and the either or thinking instead of both and thinking, which is uh, seems to me that both and thinking is the gospel and either or thinking is not and um i i think this is the most important thing besides how much i love joe and you that i've said and that is that you can't change what you can't name mm-hmm. and so i uh don't know what heaven's like i figure i'm going to get there because i'm with him <laughs> that's my <laughs> way in right there mm-hmm. um but I, I would say to Paul, were you Paul and me, me, I know why you do the very thing over and over and over that you don't want to do. It's because of your Enneagram number. <laughs> <laughs> and I think because we all want to know about ourselves, Paul would lean in and say, Tell me more about that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Everybody wants to know about themselves. But I think it's because we want to know why we continually do the things that we don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram shows you that, but it also shows you that and how to fix it at exactly the same time.
0: Can I ask you a follow-up can, you question? Can, it, you're in charge. I know it doesn't seem that way, but you No, right. it's, it's never that way. Uh, we can't change what we can't name. Right. Enneagram's a tool that helps us name those things so that we can change, change them. Change them, yep. And so as you're thinking of this project of what has happened over the last couple of years and how we're shaped by it in positive and not so positive ways. What are ways that we can learn how to name those things that that have happened or continue to happen inside of us so that we don't end up in that Pauline situation of, I don't do what I want to do, but the bad I don't want to do is what I end up doing. Yeah.
1: Well, I think the first thing, and maybe the most important thing, is that we have to own who we really are. We have to own what we think and feel and do not just what other people see. Okay. And in the ownership of that, then we can honestly say to ourselves, I really wish I didn't do that. I, I wish I could stop that. Mm-hmm. The thing about the Enneagram is,
2: if I hold, I hold it, yeah.
1: it shows you what's wrong in your number. You don't need to take this personally. You're just one of billions of people who do the same thing you do and see the same thing you see. And so it shows you what you do in your number that's either healthy, average, unhealthy, in excess, or pathological. We'll not talk about that today. Mm -mm. And then it shows you what you can do to fix that at the same time. And what we're trapped in is either I'm not changing anything. This is who I am. This is how God made me, and so you get over it. Or I have to change everything because who I am is not who I'm supposed to be. And so I've got to get better and better and better, but then they don't. We don't know how to do that because we haven't been able to name what we can't change. Hmm. So an honest self-inventory is first, and the Enneagram helps with that because everybody, like you and Joel, I bet, as sevens, would have a similar self-inventory of the things that you don't like that you do as husbands, fathers, girls, all the things. Yeah. And so then the question is, well, what are you going to do with that? And the cultural answer from our culture is, well, I'm going to make it go away. And unfortunately, as fun as that would be to think that you're in control and that you can make it go away, you have to learn this whole new thing about allowing that behavior to fall away, rather than you being in charge and making it go away. Hmm. So if you think about the Enneagram this way, uh, think about when you were little, You needed certain ways of being in the world to do that effectively and to uh, adapt to teachers and parents and churches and all the things that people want you to be. So you work on that adapting by, uh, let's use the example of wearing a cast on your arm because these things have to be fixed. They need to be better. Well, if you wear the cast your whole life, then you lose the use of that. So Enneagram... Is this The best part of you is also the worst part of you. And so you have to wrap your arm around all of you to move forward, and you don't get to make part of yourself stay behind. And so the way you do that is worse. Mm -hmm. Worse than what I've already said. I don't know why people like my stuff. (laughs) I just deliver a lot of bad news. So Mm -hmm. worse than that is that the only... The only practice that really gets you somewhere is if you learn to kind of hover up here and uh, observe yourself and your behavior, but you have to do that non judgmentally. So let me uh, put that in church context for you.
0: I have a follow up question.
1: Oh, you want to do that now or you want I my church context? Okay, go.
0: Non judgmentally observe yeah. ourselves. Yep. Do you think most of us are judgmental about observing ourselves? Yes. The
1: time? And then we defend ourselves, and then okay. we're deeper in the hole.
0: Then what would non judgmental observation look like? I'm fixing to tell you. In church language? In church language. Perfect. All right.
1: You got nervous when I started saying I was going to talk about church. I was you? like, okay, let's, Uh-oh. let's go Uh-oh. somewhere else. Oh, she's one of those liberal Methodists. We got to watch her. We
0: do, yes. yes. All right. I just got to throw a few Bible verses in just to keep this going.
1: Liberal Methodist, not Baptist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Common enemy. I like it.
1: It helps us build community, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, Okay, stop. Church language, Mm -hmm. self-observation. So um, I know that y'all are from all over the country. Um, Anybody from Texas here? There you go. Okay, well, uh, then if you're in ministry in Texas, you know that Vacation Bible School in rural Texas is a competitive sport.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Because that's
1: what it is. And mm-hmm. speaking of our friends, the Baptists always win.
0: They do. They're good.
1: They always win. Yeah. So Joe's a pastor, and he, he's got a thing. No announcements, none. At the end of worship, no announcements. Okay. So I'm sitting in my pew managing our four children, and I see this woman walk up at the end of worship to make an announcement. She was some of the things that I'm not in terms of height and long hair, and she didn't look tired. (laughs) (laughs) And she was in charge of Vacation Bible School. And she had come up with some idea that if we Uh, could have homemade cookies. She didn't say these exact words, but everybody knew what she was talking about. We could beat the (laughs) Baptists. Now, in rural America, uh, our children were all saved in every denomination, whatever that saved means, because Vacation Bible School is childcare in rural Texas (laughs) in the summertime. And Joe and I really (laughs) wanted to live in rural Texas. He's a cowboy, and he likes to... Ride horses and rope cattle and all that business, and I grew up uh, in a farming and ranching community. It turns out that we can't stay in rural Texas. No, 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 we're too progressive, and one of us is too verbal.
0: Doesn't matter who we're talking about, though.
1: So I'm thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't like to bake. I'm not going to volunteer. So she's begging, and I'm not going to volunteer. And you know what happens if the pastor's wife doesn't volunteer? Yes, you do know, don't you? <laughs> what happens is this. And then they gossip about you. So I just dug in. I'm not volunteering. I teach adult Sunday school. Nobody wants to do that. I'm not going to volunteer. And pretty soon, because... I'm an Enneagram 2, which means I'm a giver, which means I want people to want me, which means I do what they say when they need me when I'm unhealthy. And so I raise my hand. By the time I put my hand down, I hate this woman. <laughs> <laughs> and I plan to tell Joe that she should never be allowed to be in this role again, which will make no difference, as you will see in the coming story. And I'm going to do it anyway. And I was thinking, you know, Oreos are great. You can take them apart. You can dip them. You can get three cookies instead of one. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would you want homemade cookies? Or here's a great. By the time I got to my car, I hated children. Because <laughs> they require cookies. Yep. Then, but I had it all worked out by the time I got home, and I only hated Baptist children. I so get that. Then I baked all that hate into the cookies that I took with me. Back to the church. But you know, in your Tupperware thing, when you take the cookies, if you don't count them and put your name on the bottom, right, you know you have to write your name on masking tape on the bottom of the container because the people who manipulated you into bringing the cookies, count them. Mm -hmm. So peace loving here, Mm -hmm. all this whole time said, next year, why don't you just not offer to bring cookies? I said, next year, why don't you just get rid of her? (laughs) (laughs) So we were neither one successful. Mm. I show up a year later, end of worship, and there she is. And I'm giving Joe the stink eye, and he looks down like he won't even look at me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sitting there saying, I'm not bringing cookies. I'm not doing it. She's not going to talk me into it. I do a lot of things. I don't like to bake. I'm not bringing cookies. I'm not bringing cookies. So, self observation the second year was look at you, Suzanne, you just raised your hand again to bring cookies. But then I defended myself. Yeah, I did, because I'm the pastor's wife, and they expect, you know what people think we do? How many of you are pastor's spouses? Although I don't think it happens to guys. Oh, it it probably aren't (laughs) guys. Never mind. How many of you are pastor's wives? All right. You know, they think that we have an extra gene, and they think we play the piano. And we love vacation Bible school, and we like to work in the church kitchen. And I don't, and I don't, and I don't.
0: Say sing on the praise team, not piano. It's Church of Christ. Oh,
1: God, I'm getting everything wrong. Except great. that we hate Baptists. Yeah, together, we just right? stick with that. Okay, with that. sing on the praise team. They think we sing on the praise team. Thank you. I was just in the bathroom going through all the things. Know your audience. Know your audience. Know your audience. You're doing
0: great. You're doing really good. Extra gene, pastor's wife.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I volunteered because people judge me if I don't. This is me talking to my observing self. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be judged. And I, I you know, I'm just, I'm, I have a new plan anyway, so I'm going to do something different. And I'm going to bring cookies. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So my new plan was, I went to Subway, and I said to that guy who works at Subway, you know, that's always a sweet young guy right there. And I say, do you happen to, like, bake the cookies here? And he said, yes, ma'am. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And I said, could you, like, bake some for me, but, like you know, mess them up a little, like, burn a batch and have them not look quite so perfect? Smart. He said, I don't no, nobody's ever asked for that. I'll I'll have to talk to my manager. And I said, well, then, would you please? And he said, yes, ma'am, I'll call you. And he called me and said, he guesses we can if I don't go too far. (laughs) So I said, deal. So I put them in my Tupperware container (laughs) with my name on the bottom, took them to the church, and I thought I had the whole thing done. And then this one says, you know how much those cost, three of those? We have a child in college. Do you know how much those cost? It's a lot of money. So um, the third year, (laughs) he didn't do things any better, but he says he was giving me an opportunity for transformation.
0: Okay. How so?
1: Grace and love. Yeah. Because the same woman was sure standing there.
2: She's still there.
1: I aged three years. She didn't.
0: She's the worst.
1: Yeah. And I just took a deep breath and she begged and talked about how close we were to beating other denominations, I guess, in saving children. I don't know. And I just didn't raise my hand. And then I said, look at you, Suzanne. You're getting uh, an idea of what is yours to do and what is not yours to do. And since then, you know that the question I ask myself every day of my life is, what is mine to do? So all, all of that is to say that I spend my time, when I'm teaching the Enneagram, teaching people who they're not. Because your Enneagram is the personality that you have adopted and put on so that you can make your way in the world and not get fired from your job and make your parents happy and all the stuff. And... Uh, It's necessary, and it's a good thing to have a personality, but there's a point when you just don't need so much of it anymore, and the more personality you can let go of, the more you can get back to the essence of who God created us to be. Hmm. And uh, if you can't change what you can't name, then if you can't name those pieces of your personality, you don't know what to allow to fall away. And so what I know now is that I'm still a giver, and I'm still generous, and that's still how I see the world. But I don't have to respond to everybody who asks me for something.
0: Mm -hmm. Can I ask a follow-up question about the phrase, allow to fall away?
1: Yeah, I'm fascinated that you're saying, can I? Like, you're in charge here. Enjoy it, because you usually aren't when we're together.
0: I don't feel very in charge at all right now. (laughs) Um, But nevertheless. Yeah. You've taught me this idea that there is this like, divine essence, the, the true, true self, as yep. Merton would call it, yep. uh, in Genesis 1, the image of God that's, yep. that we we're all created with, um, and then we get all these layers, to use your metaphor, it's like the, these casts or these false selves that we put on to get through the world, because life is hard, and you need to do something to give yourself a way to get going.
1: Plus, people help you do that, hold, hold your thing, people help you do that, so I remember distinctly Walking into church one Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. I have an introverted child and an extroverted child. A seven and a four on the Enneagram.
0: This one's a favorite?
1: I don't have a favorite. So so I'm walking in and I stop and I say to Joel, the seven introvert, you need to talk to people when they talk to you. You're rude. They're trying to be nice to you. Now you respond and answer and you need to shut your mouth. You tell way too much to way too many people, and it's not their business. All right, now that's me offering to help my children add another (laughs) layer of personality on, see? If you're going to please me, then you have to talk even though you're an introvert and you don't want to, and you have to shut up even though you're an extrovert and just like me, and you don't want to. So just multiply that by one million times, and that's how we manage to get to adulthood. And then we don't need all of that for the rest of our lives. We need pieces of it and we allow pieces that we don't need to fall away because if you want to make those pieces go away, it makes your personality bigger because you use your personality and the illusion that you're in control
0: to do it. I just had a personal epiphany. How much am I allowed to tell my over talking child Uh to like turn it down Uh and my non-communicative child Uh, my extremely introverted child Mm -hmm. I'm going to do a little like turn the volume just a little bit Mm -hmm. without like
1: Mm -hmm.
0: stunting their growth
1: would you turn it up just a little if you weren't a pastor
0: okay let's not do this in front of people here (laughs) uh bankers (laughs) aren't telling their shy
1: child that they have to speak up and their extroverted child that they have to shut up
0: Mm -hmm. next question
1: I'm 72 and from the South and charming. I went to charm school in Lubbock, Texas. I get away with a lot. Mm -hmm. So we're still even. Even? Yeah, I just,
0: you know, I just got away with that. Okay, your deal. Okay. Um, What were we saying before I had the existential crisis about my parenting trauma that I'm creating for my child? Um, They won't need much therapy. It's okay. They're going to go to you for that. (laughs) Okay. As long as you give them an iPad. Uh, I'm all good. So we're allowing the false selves, the mm-hmm. casts that we put on ourselves, and yep. also because we have our well-intentioned Father who's trying to help us, we yep. think, uh, who forces us to do things that are outside right. of our true self. Right. Um, so we're allowing, eventually, those to fall off, which is counterintuitive because I would think, let's remove the, the sin that so easily entangles from the language of the Bible, um, I, like, I feel like I'm having to remove the sin from my life, remove these things that have so easily encumbered me, but your language is we allow them to fall off. Yeah. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Explain that difference. Okay. Stop me.
1: <laughs> um so let's start with this. Control is an illusion. It's my favorite, but it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. And if I I have listened to a lot of good preaching in my years, and I hear an awful lot about uh, from time to time about free will,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I also hear about uh, the sins of the father visited on the sons. And I uh, hear a lot about from our mentor, Father Richard Rohr, and from Joe, that the gospel only gives us two rights, and that is the right to love and the right to forgive. And I get a lot farther in terms of what you would call removing sin by allowing my false self to fall away and loving myself and forgiving myself than I do by trying to make something happen. Because once you say, I have to get rid of this part of me, then you're acknowledging that you think it's bad and that you have to get rid of it. And I would say that in the way we're put together, God and God's wisdom knew that we needed some personality to get us through. Hmm. Um, I'm doing some work right now in the adoption and fostering community, and it is one of the most astonishing and disturbing and concerning things I've ever been part of and that's saying a lot at 72 Hmm. and if those kids weren't allowed to add personality to make their way I don't think they'd make their way Hmm. so it makes sense to me that we have ways to defend and in the uh, seat of hearing good teaching and good wisdom, we have the opportunity to allow ourselves to move forward without quite so much baggage.
2: Hmm.
1: And um, Joe and I found out this would be good for you. Joe and I found out when our girls started dating. I, you know, if y'all don't know, Joe's a former Catholic priest. He left the priesthood, and we married when he was forty. And uh, so he had his first date with me at 40. What What'd you guys do? He took me to Chili's.
0: <laughs> I like Chili's. I used to work at Chili's.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um, he thought that girls should be able to date at 40. And they didn't quite see it that way. Joe adopted my three children. I was a single mom, adopted my three, and we had a fourth. Um, And um, we figured out that if we told our girls the things that we, in high school, the things that we didn't like about their boyfriends, they were insisting on dating them. And so we didn't do that anymore until they got to college. Late high school, early college, and Joe just started saying to the boyfriend, not to our daughters, I don't like you. I don't think you belong with my daughter. It's nothing against you. I just don't think y'all fit, and I don't like you. And they mostly went away. (laughs) (laughs) So when when I'm told, if I said to you, Luke, stop using humor to make your way into a conversation, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that's like me asking you to take part of you away. And I'm just asking you to ask the question, is it mine to do to enter this conversation with humor? And that way you blend your personality and the deeper essential part of yourself and you move forward more holistically on the journey toward wholeness Mm -hmm. than before. Hmm. So I still give. I still sometimes raise my hand and volunteer to do something and regret it. But not as much as I used to. Mm
0: -hmm. So there's this question you're asking, what is mine to do in this situation? You're asking yourself this question every day?
1: Start with it every morning and then throughout the
0: day. Okay. And so the question opens you up to the idea that the way you would maybe step into this moment, this conversation, this situation might not be the truest way that you should be stepping into that. That's
1: right. My way in usually is I, as a two, I can read other people's feelings and I know what they need. Mm-hmm. So I meet needs. Mm-hmm. Think about how manipulative that has the potential to be.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
1: Yeah? So I have to stop and say, why am I moving toward this other person? What, do I, What, if anything, do I expect to get in return? Hmm. And does the other person want my help? Hmm. <laughs> Turns out I've helped a lot of people who didn't want my help. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then complained about being tired. And, you know, in my number, uh, every number, but it would take all day for me to do that. But in my number, the things that I do because this journey toward wholeness is so complex and because we're whole beings, uh, the things I do look really Christ-like. Hmm. you can do really nice things for other people and they're not yours to do and so you know what happened with me baking cookies with hate in them there are a lot of uh, people in church who don't want to teach Sunday school who don't trust themselves enough to be on the finance committee or the deacon elder people Mm -hmm. front row I guess I don't know you're doing uh, great. We don't have those, but we're a mess, so you don't need to copy us.
0: I, All of our elders are very healthy and perfect. I'll
1: bet they are.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I
1: have some statistics over here about the uh, numbers that we're losing denominationally, us Methodists and you guys.
0: So let's, Can we send some of them back? Uh, no, I'm yeah, well, I'm,
1: not, I'm not going to use them. I'm just saying.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, now this Sorry. happens every time I'm with you. I forget what I'm saying that's real important because you're so adorable. (laughs) And I'm looking at Joe to help me, but he's a nine, so he only hears two-thirds of what's happening, (laughs) and he wasn't listening to that third, so he has no idea how to help me.
0: But he's charming too.
1: He is charming. Mm -hmm. Cookies, I don't want Oh, 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 oh. When I bake cookies, see, some people are listening. When I bake cookies, I'm taking that job away from somebody who gets a lot of pleasure from that and for whom that's their favorite way to serve the church. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. We had two foster kids and then our four. And by the time my last one left home, I decided that I uh, was going to do adult things for a while. And then my career took off and I had opportunities to do a lot of things and And my children have all gone away to school and come back to the area. We have nine grandchildren. But when my girls first had babies, they thought that I was going to babysit for them. And the answer was, I'm not doing that. I want to be with my grandchildren when I want to be with them. And I have this whole part of my life I haven't lived because I was trying to take really good care of you. So, no. Mm -hmm. And then their mother-in-laws both hopped up and said, we'll do it. So then what do you do with that, right? What do you do with that? Hmm. It's like, oh, my grandchildren are going to love them and not me because they babysit and I don't. And then you go back to what is mine to do, what is mine to do, what is mine to do, what is mine to do. And I'm winning. Hmm. Not that there's a competition.
0: No. First of all, maybe the reason three years ago that we didn't do this in Austin (laughs) is because I don't want my mother-in-law who lives in Austin, who takes care of my kids all the time, to hear that. Well, maybe she
1: wants to. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's hers to do, Mm -hmm. and maybe she wants to. It wasn't mine to do, and it wasn't what I felt and believed was mine to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Can we think about this question, what's mine to do, in light of what we've gone through for the last couple years and that we're all processing? uh, Things have become different. Things are different. I am different. We are different. And we've carried some baggage that maybe we haven't always named mm-hmm. and said, this is what I'm now carrying. Mm-hmm. Um, w- what are some ways that we can think about this specifically um, going forward now? Kay.
1: Well, we've talked a lot about the things that we might talk about while we were here together. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is that in all the people I've met, in all the places I've been, I've never met anybody who didn't want their life to have meaning. And I've never met anybody who didn't want to belong. Everybody wants those two things. Unfortunately, we've come on a time when we think that uh, the only way we can feel like we belong is if somebody doesn't. We create belonging now as we belong and you don't, Hmm. instead of as we belong. Hmm. And so that's causing its own thing. So I'm reevaluating those questions and how important they are, and I'm sticking with them because I think everybody wants their life to have meaning, and I think everybody wants to belong. The trick is, and especially we know it coming out of COVID, what did you learn about belonging and about where your life has meaning? Hmm. So after being out in the world and doing what I do and loving what I do and believing it's mine to do, uh, when COVID shut Dallas down, Joe was head of congregational care For a 16,000 member church. And. uh, He spent hours. And hours. And hours on the phone. Because they couldn't get in the hospitals. They couldn't get to families. They couldn't do it. I walked in one day. And he was talking to this man on the phone. He had tears rolling down his cheeks. He was in his office at home. And I waited in the other room. And when I heard him hang up. I went in there and said. What's happening? And he said. Well I was just talking to a man whose mother's dying, and his mother's alone on the other side of the wall, and he's alone on this side, and he was sitting on the ground outside the hospital, leaning against the building, having figured out the, the place he could be that was the closest to his mother
2: hmm.
1: while she was dying with COVID. What's mine to do in those months was to support him and to cook for him, and take care of him, and love him well, and suggest things we might do that might be life-giving, and support my children who were with children at home all the time, doing all of those things, which is nothing like what I do the rest of the time. And I think what happened, because we knew what questions to ask in our family, was rather than uh, threatening the belonging system that we all have, we solidified that we belong to one another and in that we could belong to one another without being able to be together physically mm. but what we also found out is the meaning that we each had in the lives of the people in just our 19 people that's a lot of people that's a lot yeah where I come from that's a small community but then from that place of knowing that you belong you can go out into the world and do different things. So this is going to sound self-serving, but I don't know what else to do. It's what I, it's what I do. Not self-serve, but <laughs> what I do is helpful yeah. to people, and it sounds self-serving. We've gotten to a point where we have so many expectations for one another. If we don't understand ourselves well enough to teach other people how we see the world, we're going to stay in this either or right or wrong, good or bad way Mm -hmm. of being in the world. And honestly, I just don't know anything other than, I don't know anything that helps as much as the Enneagram does to give language to you understanding how you see the world and to give grace so that you can understand these other eight ways of seeing in the world, some of which are very, very different from yours. And we're in trouble. All of our churches are shrinking. They're getting our church memberships other than uh, Latter-day Saints, or Orthodox Jews, and Orthodox Christians. Those are Their average age is in the 40s. All of our denominations, 60s and above. Hmm. And so that says to me that people want more from us that is meaningful not more that is relevant Mm. and the best way i know to joe and i made up our minds when we started life in the trinity ministries 37 years ago in the catholic church we brought it with us when he left and we made up our minds that we were going to build our ministry on the gospel and not over against anybody it took 25 years it takes a long time to not have a common enemy. Why? Why? Uh, well, all I know is the fastest way to get people to cohere is to identify somebody like the poor little Baptist children who just went to vacation Bible school mm-hmm. at the church that's guaranteed to get them to Jesus. I pose, supposedly. That's so heavy in here. I tried that for a little humor, but we didn't get there. <laughs>
0: What's mine to do, you know? Yeah,
1: all right. So I'm going I'm to answer that this way. Here's how I'm going to answer the question. Uh, I've said for a number of years publicly, uh, Joel says I can't say it anymore, but I think I can say it here, uh, that there is a pastor in Dallas who has a very big church and a very big following, and I don't agree with anything much that he says. So, I did a five year practice, spiritual practice, of listening to him preach every Sunday morning before I went to my Sunday school class in my church. Okay, now here's why I did that. Because until I can invite him to lunch and not need him to believe what I believe, I'm him. Hmm. I did the five years, I, I tried really hard and well I guess I didn't do good enough because now Joe is uh retired but he wanted to keep working and so he's on staff at a Methodist church that is as far from here to that door up there from his church
0: so you, hmm.
1: so pretty close God put me a little closer so I could try a little harder I guess
0: yeah and uh and after this we're going to go to lunch with him you know because Chris Stevens here I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) So cute. Thank you. You're so cute. (laughs) So here's the thing. Um, I'm adopted. I was a foreign exchange student. I was sexually abused as a foreign exchange student. My goal in life was to be a college basketball coach. I made great grades. I got to be that. I was in a really destructive, well, a really difficult marriage. Now I'm in a marriage that is beyond anything I could have ever dreamed, and I'm loved in a way that I never would have thought I could be. All of those things make up who I am, along with having four children and loving them and their spouses and nine grandchildren, and that makes up who I am. That doesn't make up anybody else in the room. That's my life experience that makes me, me. So the only thing I feel like I have to offer is tools and a little integrity in who I am instead of pretending that I'm all holy and have it all worked out and all that stuff, which I don't. And I, you know, I I, I do a lot of magazine interviews and podcasts and all radio stuff, all the stuff. And in the more conservative evangelical world, the big question, you know, they kind of lean in and whisper it. About two paragraphs in, I've learned. <laughs> and I can see them. I can just see them leaning toward the microphone. What's dangerous about the Enneagram? Here's the answer it's really dangerous if you take it to be more than it is. It's just one spiritual wisdom tool. That's all. Just one. And it really helps with being able to live a life where you know that your life has meaning. And it really helps in belonging and in making place for other people to belong. And so I think the gift is that first you have to know yourself. Mm -hmm. Now this is where it's just unabashed selling my books. Mm -hmm. So know yourself. That's the road back to you. But then you think, well, I want to know the people around me. Well, you should. And you will have already identified some by reading. But then the path between us tells you how other people want to be treated based on their number. And you can teach how you want to be treated based on yours. Mm -hmm. Then we've got relationships. We've got ourselves. got all that going. And then there's this spiritual journey that we're on that is supposedly towards some kind of wholeness. And so the journey toward wholeness is the practices that you can... Use spiritual practices that will uh, help you along the way to being more essence and less personality.
0: Hmm. That's good. Uh, I think we've covered a lot. And in your books, you talk about a road, a path, and a journey. And so if you guys come back tomorrow, you will hear the fourth transportation metaphor that you're going to discuss with us. Is that true?
1: Maybe. What am I going to talk about tomorrow? I
0: just made that up. I want to put you on the spot. But we'll figure it out between now and tomorrow. Uh,
1: but we're at transportation. If you have any suggestions and you pass me in the afternoon,
0: let me know what
1: mode of transportation you think
0: we should be on road path journey. We've got three there. There's gotta be a fourth. Um, how to die
1: gracefully.
0: (laughs) Perhaps that's it. That's too dark for me. Okay. That's too dark. Uh, Suzanne, I want to just say, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for being with us in the church of Christ. And, uh, I, I'm not saying we're the only ones going to heaven, but if we are, we will give you a friends and family weekend pass. Okay, here's my answer to that.
1: You let us in for a weekend and nobody's gonna want us to leave.
0: Deal, <laughs> deal. Thank y'all for being here. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.